The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon. Welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, sitting next to my co-host, Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? Doing great. How's all the uh, vacations coming along? Well, it's quite lovely. Fast and furious. Quite lovely. <laughs> good. Well, it's good to have you back. It's good to be here in downtown Seattle. This show is designed to share with you prudent investment and financial planning advice uh, in hopes of helping you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. Empirical is our name because we base our investment and financial planning recommendations on what we believe is an evidence-based approach to wealth management, meaning we try to rule out emotions and things that uh, are based in opinion and look wherever possible for scientific evidence on what works best for our clients and for you as our, as our listener on this program. Ethan, before we get started today, uh, I know we designed the show for advisors and for individual investors. How can uh, how can people reach us, and what can we do for them? Yeah, well, in terms of the uh, uh, getting a hold of us today, if you'd like to join the show, ask a question, or have a comment about the, comp- the uh, topics at hand today, feel free to give us a call at eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero, or of course you can email us as well at contact at EMPIRadio.com. And, uh, you know, if you're an individual investor out there, um, we would love to hear from you. If you're looking perhaps uh, for a a second opinion on your portfolio or if you're uh, about to enter retirement, would like some advice as to how to structure the um, Social Security benefits that you're you're going to receive. Perhaps you have a pension or uh, tax questions or just want to put together a comprehensive retirement plan. uh, We would love the opportunity to address your questions and concerns and help you build the most. financially sound future we can. And if also you're a, um, a professional investor out there looking to perhaps partner up with a very well-established firm that has taken the time to build a significant infrastructure on, on how to help clients make smarter financial choices, um, feel free to give us a call as well. We'd love to talk with you. And for that, you can probably give us a call on the regular hotline here, which is uh, 206-923-3474. That's actually the number two of the Empirical Tower in downtown Seattle here. Ethan, you mentioned retirement plan, and I I want to point out that uh, a lot of us as investors can be lured into the day-to-day uh, turmoil of markets. Um, when things are going well, we kind of forget about the basics, I guess, of investment management and financial planning, and we kind of get have a tendency to get sucked into the hype. 
And when things are going difficult, uh, like the markets we've gone through, we get caught up in the negative news a lot. And for many people, um, they don't have a retirement plan. And my view would be whether it's good times, bad times, um, you shouldn't spend any time reading market news or picking investments if you don't have a clear plan. And maybe you can share a little bit about what that plan incorporates. What do you need to know before you got to picking stocks or worrying about whether right. stocks are going to go down or is it U.S. stocks, European stocks, or you know all that kind of stuff, Facebook? Um, is there something more important you should be focusing on? Yeah, we've talked about this before, I think. And um, you know, picking the actual investments is probably among the the last couple of steps in in the planning process, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you have to know a lot of things before you ultimately pick which investments you're going to be used. You're going to be used to implement the plan you've created. Um, so a lot of folks kind of skip all the, the hard work and focus only on the, the the aspect of hey, what stock should I own or what funds should I own or uh, those sorts of things. Uh, but there are a lot of questions that, that need to be answered, at least should be answered beforehand. Um, starting with, hey, overall in terms of investment philosophy, where do you, what's the research show as to what's the best approach to investing? You know, is it is it really the stock picker's mentality or is it the market timer's mentality? I mean, is there, is there scientific evidence that shows that's the best way to go or are there other things out there that, that perhaps uh, deserve to be looked at? So once you've kind of decided that, you can kind of move into other things as to, well, you know, what, what type of, um, what do I need for my portfolio after I've considered um, optimization of my Social Security benefits and pension benefits. What do I need from the, my portfolio itself? That'll help dictate the allocation that you choose among stocks, among risky assets and safer assets, right? So there's tons of things you do before you get to actually picking the actual investments you'll you'll use in the portfolio. I think a lot of people, a lot of us have, and I include myself as an individual rather than someone in a in a uh, disciplined investment framework, right? If I'm just out out there doing my own thing it's it's hard to remove yourself from the day-to-day part of it and um what's going on in the news and so today the, the headline on the wall street journal here i'm just just logging in as we're doing the show dow tumbles on doubts of fed stimulus uh, the dow industrials fell the most in more than a month amid mounting doubts about the stimulus from the federal reserve and concerns about the sustainability of the summer's gains Dow Jones Industrial Average gave up 115 points, or nine-tenths of a percent, to close at 13,057, its biggest drop since July 20. Can I make a quick comment on that, Ken? I would love to. I, I love how, well, I don't know if I love it. I think it's funny how uh, the, uh, the media portrays, hey, it's the worst decline in a month. Like, it must be serious. Or it's down <laughs> nine-tenths of a percent. I, I, don't think, I don't think that qualifies as a serious decline. It's, it's regular market movements. Uh, Regardless of the news out there, I know they're trying to figure out uh, or suggest that they know what happened to the market today and why it's down. But clearly, any any short period of time, it's anybody's guess as to what really is going on out there. Right. And I find it very funny that it's it's, it's uh, the headline reads "worst decline in a month." I find that very funny. Well, they usually um, it's the same template for every one of these articles. We did a, a it was about a year or two ago uh, when we were going through a pretty tough. Summer. It was actually last summer, I believe it was. Yeah. And I looked through some of the headlines, and I put a little paper that we sent out to clients, or just a little little email kind right. of string. And it was the exact same headlines and the exact same template, which is if the market goes down uh, and there's any kind of news they can they can link it to. Come on in, Lauren. Lauren's got a little piece of paperwork I wanted to have. Um, 
if 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 there is oh thanks man. that's really cool um if there is any kind of uh, news around it that they can attach, the template part is the tumbling, the, the words that you could interchange, which is tumble, plummet, uh, um, tumbling, plummet, what was it today? Or uh, worst since whenever. And then they pick whenever that is. So if it was two days ago, it's still the worst since two days ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> or it was the worst since then. Right. And there must be some testing on that in terms of language and having people read it and say, hey, do you, do, how do you react? They probably hook you up to some electrodes like they do on those poll yeah, things you see right. in the political right. and, and get a sense of, hey, what, what sensational words do we get people to get a reaction out of them so they'll stick with the article or come back or yes. whatever it is that the media is looking at, I, I, because it is the same template. It's they start with the the fact that it fell and it the fell the most in some some period since some period of time, right. um, and then it goes on to talk about um, the markets had a big move. It's digesting it. Said uh, Tim McCandle, senior equity analyst at Bel Air Investment Advisors, Bel Air, <laughs> the Prince of Bel Air in Los Angeles. Which manages more than six billion dollars. People have been confused at why the S and P 500 is doing so well while the economy is not. Weighing on investors' minds, Federal uh, Reserve Bank of St. Louis President James Bullard, in an interview on CNBC, said Federal Reserve policymakers may hold off on further efforts to bolster the economy because of continued modest economic growth in the U.S. Um. I don't know if we need to. I think the market is taking a little bit uh, more of a conservative view on the prospect for stimulus, based on what Bullard has said, been saying on TV. Said Seth Cetrican, co-head of U.S. Equities at First New York Securities. Now it's important to know because we look at these studies pretty frequently, Ethan. That mm-hmm. uh, the guys that they pull, um, I'll just let you in on a little secret. <clears throat> Any advisor out there can get quoted by CNBC or Wall Street Journal. If they hire a publicist that will go out and get them spots, because we've been approached by these guys numerous times, um, it doesn't make you any more of an expert than anyone else at being able to predict what's going to happen in the market. And to the contrary, the empirical record on this is quite clear that over a longer period of time, active management decisions that relate to short-term market predictions have been incredibly inaccurate and haven't been able to beat basic indexes. So that's not the best activity to engage in if you're looking to enhance your return over some market index. Uh, it's actually probably one of the worst things you could do because there are more systematic things, more compensated risks, as we would call it, of adjusting your portfolio in a way to take and, and or exploit risk that you would be compensated for before trying to guess things. And it's important to realize that this data that comes out in these articles uh, is likely not going to be the data that moves the market in the future. It'll be unexpected, unknown data. It seems very predictable, and you get some negative news, and then later more negative news comes out that drives the market down, even if they were unrelated. It makes it appear to be more predictable. So uh, if you had an analogy, the, the likelihood of you being in a car accident um, you get into an accident, it, and then you get into another one two weeks later, you might have the tendency to think something's going on. Somehow these are related or things are more dangerous out on the road than they were previously. Right. 
But the statistics never changed, and the predictability of it really were unrelated. But as humans, our psychology is one in which we want very casual relationships. We want to be able to explain what's going on. Yeah, we want sure. to know what's going on. Right. And when things happen, particularly if we have any kind of a hunch or there was something previous to the event that, it, that while it may be spurious or unrelated, um, later we can use it to explain what happened. Uh, and so I was, I was looking at an article um, yesterday for, for one of our advisors, and we were just going over it, and it was a guy who, who has an RAA who was uh, writing on a page called Seeking Alpha, so I haven't explored that webpage too much, but I believe it's a group. The, the concept of it would be to be looking for ways of improving your, enhancing your returns. Okay. Um, through traditional, probably more traditional active management because alpha's getting a higher return than what, uh, a risk adjusted return than the risk you take, right? But he said, hey, I, I, I'm, I am warning about corporate bonds. His, his thing was to be cautious about owning corporate bonds. And a lot of these articles are very generic. Um, oh, it looks like, I don't know how much time we've got here. A minute or two. Uh, we might get segued here into commercials, but we'll pick this up when we come back. <laughs> but my point, Ethan, was that they're very generic and they leave out, unless you are a professional, like I can read the article and, and dissect it very quickly and say, hey, these are very broad generic statements that don't apply specifically to things, for example, that we would do in a bond portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they're more based on very short-term predictions that if we're investing over a 20-year time horizon, for example, would be completely irrelevant and probably wouldn't add any value at all. In fact, would incurring transaction costs and taxes and things like that would probably detract in most cases, even if they had a high probability of right, being right, which they don't. But suddenly, because this person writes an article, they're an expert. Uh, and... It's 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 definitely something that I think individuals have to be aware of and be cautious. And just because we're here doesn't mean we know everything. Everything we say should be checked. Um, or if we sat with you one on one, I'll accept we're going to the the other format here. <clears throat> if we sat down with you one on one, right? Right. Uh, I was just going over some of the slides that you were passing me with some of the studies on where returns come from. Right. Um, and we would be able to provide those studies. So rather than me say, hey, I think corporate bonds are a bad thing. And in the article, he admitted that a year ago he said they were bad and they actually continued to do quite well. Right. So he got it wrong. Sure. But this time he'll be right. Um, it's easy to make random predictions, particularly when it's when you're going with the flow of the news. And what I mean by that is it's easy for me to read this news article and come up with 20 reasons why the stock market's a very scary and dangerous place to be. Yeah. Because – I'm going with the current. I'm not fighting it at that point. All right. It's always easier to go with what's right. going out there. Just like on the opposite, when in nineteen in the late nineties, if I was running around saying, "Hey, stocks are a very dangerous place," I would have. Uh, it would be very hard to be going against the current. Right. But the media and everybody else that was going with the current was, "Hey, this is great. A, this is a whole new uh, financial time we're in here, where the old old models don't apply." Right. So anyway, I'm sorry. I kind of. Got off on on a longer story there. Oh, it's right. Your you know your your conclusions I think are are, are right. And there's lots of examples of uh, of so-called experts being even people who are known as experts to be incorrect. One of those things is uh, I'm reminded of that with uh, Bill Gross from from Pimco, 
you know, looking back in, in 2002 as an example, uh, in that year, he had basically made a statement that he expects the, the Dow Jones to plummet further to around 5,000 on the Dow. At the time, it was about 8,300. Well, it turns out he was very, 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 very wrong. Uh, a year from then, um, from that, that statement, the Dow was up around 9,500, um, which is about 90% higher than his prediction, right? So significantly off the mark for that you know, one-year period of time. And obviously, things continued to go, go well for several years, in fact. And at that point, he was saying, making the case that, hey, you know, we should own bonds right now. You know, this is in 2002. Owning bonds is way better than owning stocks because the next five years' returns are going to be phenomenally better in bonds and stocks. We all know that, right? Well, it turned out to be opposite of the case for a very well-respected person who is supposedly in the know. Um, and most more recently, last year, in fact, made another prediction with the idea of, of jettisoning uh, government bonds from the, the famous uh, PIMCO Total Return Fund, which turned out in hindsight to be not so, not so bright because those bonds continue to do very, very well over the last uh, you know, year, year and a half or so. So even big, big time experts like that can be incorrect, and I think that that goes uh, right in line with the the concept that markets trend in ways, or we evolve out of of trends in ways that are unpredictable. Uh, well, it seems predictable, and we and if we know our market history, and we go back through history of every single time the market went down or the market got into a bubble. The way we got out of it, in most cases, was highly unpredictable. So while Bill Gross is a very smart guy, no question, and he may doing a, be doing a very great job, I'm sorry, a great job of interpreting what's happened in the past and maybe what some of the current issues are, the one thing that he doesn't have, no matter how smart he is, is a crystal ball that can accurately predict the future. And the economy is such a complex mechanism that... It's hard to put faith in anything going forward other than the fundamental economic principle of risk and return and the idea of managing your time frame. We've got a, we're going to have to take a break, but maybe we can talk a little bit more about that when we come back. Sounds uh, good. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. We're back, Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host here, uh, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Um, again, if you'd like to join us in the live broadcast today, feel free to give us a call at 866-472-5790 or go ahead and shoot us an email at contact at empiradio.com. All right, Going Ken. in the break, Ethan, we were just we were just talking, just a couple of guys here talking about the market. <laughs> That's right. Talking about how, how, to, uh, how to manage... You know, how should you be managing things through this through this difficult time? And there's a lot of uncertainty, and people are worried about the the fiscal cliff. That's right. I've heard a lot about that in the news recently. There's a lot of buzz about the the fiscal cliff, and um, various articles and things about hey, we're going to have low returns, continue low returns going forward. Last week, I think it was a week two ago, we went through some of the equity asset classes and yeah. and uh, in a in a globally diversified equity portfolio year to date, even with the so-called tumble today. Uh, I think you'd be you'd be doing reasonably well. Particularly, we were talking about things like international real estate up twenty percent, uh, at least year to date, up to a couple weeks. I didn't look at it today, right? And for most of you out there investing, you shouldn't be looking at everything every single day. It's right. not relevant. And if you are investing in a in a one month, a one year time horizon, you really shouldn't be engaging in Risky securities. Right. Um, you should know your market history. You should know the statistics. Something that we take our clients through uh, of how markets work. What What are your best? What's your best opportunity of emerging with a successful investment experience over your time horizon? And that is understanding those relationships is far more important than reading any article you're going to find in the media about what's going on in current events. Um, that, in, for the most part, is informational, and it's mostly noise when it comes to making smarter investment decisions. That's not what the media or the Wall Street firms would have you believe. They want you to believe the exact opposite. But when we look at the results, again, 
of following that advice, the results show that it's very poor. A long-term diversified buy-and-hold type strategy still comes out on top. Now, I don't mean just buy some random things and hold them forever at all. You need to be very active in understanding all the different components, understanding the different research uh, that, that has emerged over the years and continues to evolve and the various products to become more tax-efficient, more cost-effective, uh, to apply better portfolio theory. How do we, how do we continue to manage risk and achieve return? But it's having the right mindset about what you're trying to accomplish and matching that with the time frame and understanding the risks, uh, involved in that. And one of those should be, you shouldn't be worried about, do I own Facebook and, and did I buy it when it came out at 38 and now it's at 19 or 20? Um, if if you were trying to invest for a six month period of time, it, you shouldn't be in stocks at all, right? Right. Then we'd have a separate discussion when we talk about well, now we have the time horizon, we have the risk tolerance. Is it wise to own a single stock of any kind, IPO mm-hmm. or otherwise? And we would then say, well, what does the research tell us about that? What does history tell us about that? And I think a lot of people like to throw that out as, hey, you're looking to the past. That's that's not relevant and. Every time people have said that throughout history, they have been wrong. Yeah, I, they're making a huge mistake. Nobel Prize winner that we had on uh, on our radio program a couple of years ago, Harry Markowitz, said mm-hmm. some of these things were relevant back in Shakespeare's time. They're relevant now, and they'll be relevant eight thousand years from now. Right. You know, I I, I I agree with you, Ken, and I think it's a little 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 odd. You know, if you're taking the, the time to read up on what's going on in the marketplace. And, and, and if it makes you feel the need to make a change with your portfolio, uh, assuming you have a good portfolio to begin with, it's it's counterproductive a lot of times. And if, if you want to follow the advice, I think it's if you look at it this way, that you're actually increasing your risk significantly by trying to trying to follow the, the advice of or, or interpret these these articles that are out there that are coming out every day. You know, we're all bombarded with the news, whether it be the, the print or um, you know, iPhone or whatever medium you use to get your news on the market. Um, taking into account those things, they, they're printed to make you want to take action, but the action isn't really clear. And what you end up doing if you follow the advice in those articles a lot of times is taking on substantially more risk than you might already have. So if you're, a, say, you're a retiree, you're 60 years old, you have a balanced portfolio, maybe it's half stocks, half bonds, you're globally diversified, and you have your bonds set up where your you know, average maturities are around five years or less. If you change from that strategy and, and try to, to account for the different things going on in the marketplace today, and fine-tune your portfolio. Odds are you're going to be making much larger bets than you than you currently are, and right. taking on much larger risk uh, where maybe you don't need to, which is often the case. So it's counterproductive a lot of times. Well, I think it was last week. I think we were talking about the smart money article. Uh, yeah, yeah. Brett Ahrens wrote the article about uh, if both stocks and bonds are expensive, a balanced portfolio may not work. And if you remember. A lot of his assumptions were very naive um, and dubious at best, in my opinion, because he he left out a lot of critical research uh, in in his viewpoints. And the recommendation that was made at the end was, I think it was a four-part allocation, as if everyone should be in that, ultimately, regardless of your time frame, um, <laughs> and ignoring your market history or understanding how the function of time and, and risk are related. Uh, the longer you 
you hold on to a volatile asset class like stocks, the greater the likelihood that you won't sustain a loss. And so far, historically in our market, if you had a 20-year time horizon, you got a premium owning equities over over treasury bills. That's the results, okay? Mm-hmm. But in any one year, I think the drawdown on the S&P during this, the financial crisis was about 52% from peak to bottom. Sounds right. Um, on a month-to-month basis, anyway, using monthly data. Hmm. Well, those are two different statistics that, again, if you didn't understand them, or if I wanted to manipulate them, if I wanted to be uh, dubious myself, right? In, in this case, I think the dubious person is the one writing this article because he's ignoring that data, um, right? And making weird off-the-cuff recommendations that are, in my view. Very inappropriate and uh, and reckless. Yeah, very high risk in my yeah. view. Uh, then the one thing that was very underplayed in the article is well, the impact of, of possible uh, global diversification in the stock portfolio, rather than just using the U.S. as an example, and it was just basically where he got his data. So <clears throat> he provides a, a solution to help out, you know, the long term by investing globally, which he didn't do in his numbers anyway, but passes over very quickly that in terms of the advice and on the uh, in the article. Well, I just want to say that while it is tempting to look for a silver bullet, I guess, as it were, sometimes part of being successful in investing over the long run is simply accepting what the current market environment is. And again, it doesn't mean you make bad decisions or you put yourself, again, all in stocks when you only have a one-year time horizon and hope for the best. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I mean is we have a low interest rate environment, for example. Um, And if you look historically, if we're talking, let's refer back to this Seeking Alpha article about stocks uh, or corporate bonds as an example. It's easy to write a, a random article about one particular asset class of the bond market and make that as if it's comprehensive financial investment advice. Um, when in reality, if corporate bonds were a component of your portfolio and you looked at the fact that historically, when there is a spread between treasuries and corporates and almost every other week we kind of go through a market update on that. Mm-hmm. So if, I think I even have last week's, I didn't do it this week. But if we look at last week's, for example... Ten-year triple triple uh, A corporates were yielding two point six five. The ten-year Treasury was one point six seven, approximately. Okay, so almost a one percent spread. Um, now the the loss rate uh, on investment grade corporates is probably about a half a percent or so historically, right? There's a premium there, net of any losses due to default on those corporate bonds, for example. Um, if we look at the research rather than our opinion about where the economy is going in the in the future, we'll make different decisions, particularly if it's in the context of a diversified portfolio that includes treasuries, inflation-protected securities, CDs, corporate bonds of shorter duration. Um, and in the context of, a, of, of a, a total bond portfolio, is it wise to take the advice of someone that off the cuff says don't Right now, I don't think corporate bonds are, are uh, a great thing to be in. Well, no, no. And sometimes you have to accept the fact that right now, yields ha- are low. 
and I've got to I've got to still invest through this period of time if I'm going to have any chance of staying ahead of inflation. Right. Uh, if preserving my capital uh, and, and preserving it against the greatest risk of all of them is inflation, because it's an ever-present wealth-eating uh, device that's out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the one thing that has been persistent over the long term term that that melts your wealth away. Right. Right. I mean, stocks have temporary setbacks. Even bonds have temporary setbacks. But inflation always reduces your your real wealth. It is, in my view, one of the biggest risks of that people don't want to address because it's it's not it's not as uh, looming of a danger, for example, as hey, I don't want to see my portfolio drop ten percent in one year. Right. It's just there, eating away at it like a termite, right. slowly, year after year after year. That should be the thing we're all writing articles about, but it's boring. Nobody wants to talk about that. <laughs> Agreed. Right? Yeah. You know, is the Wall Street Journal going to say inflation not away again at one one hundredth of a percent today of your wealth? Right. <laughs> no, no, he's going to buy that. It's a silent killer, as it were. But in reality, it is a silent killer. It's something that is is more important to address. And if you have any any hopes of doing that, you need to be investing in something. Right. Um, and it, it we're prone to make wild decisions. Either we're, we're prone to be, I don't want to take any risk. But I'll take on all the risk of inflation and let that eat away at my portfolio. Or we go over the opposite way and we say, well, I don't, I miscalculate the risk. I'll put all my money in preferred stocks or I'll put all my money in high yielding tax free bonds or whatever it happens to be. When in reality, our advice would be take a diversified, balanced approach that has fundamental economic principles behind it. And you stick to that, and yeah, it evolves as the investment world evolves. Countries go in and out of indexes or change sizes, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, new new products are created, some relevant, some shouldn't be in a portfolio. And the vast majority of new products that come out, as we were reading in one of the other articles from uh, my, my CFP Continuing Education, we had started to read about behavioral finance and uh, the author of that article was pointing out that, hey, Wall Street's great at generating products that meet the current times, the current demand, the hot dot, what's trending now. Right. Even though that's been a horrible strategy to invest in Indeed. over a long period of time. So my advice is and my encouragement to you is don't, uh, don't give up or don't be so discouraged that you start making emotional choices. There is a way to remove yourself from the day-to-day nonsense. It doesn't mean we don't go through tough times, right? We do. The the economy goes through recessions. Hey, there is a fiscal cliff looming, right? What's going to happen with the Bush tax cuts? Are we going to let them expire? Are we going to do some sort of short gap kind of a scenario? Or are we going to renew them or have tax cuts? Well, Democrats, Republicans, they have a hard time agreeing on all this. And if we don't cut expenses, what's going to happen to the to the deficit? And is that going to put us into a uh, into a European type crisis mm-hmm. and pull us back into it? There's all this is, is swirling around there, but none of that changes the fact that most of us need to stay ahead of inflation. We need to have a retirement. We need to have some way of investing. If we if we are cons- if we're not consuming all of our wealth now, you know, if we're not spending every dime we earn 
um, and we're putting some of it away for future purposes and security and financial independence, we have to make some tough decisions. And in my view, once you, it's, it's liberating once you understand that, hey, I can ignore a lot of this and I can focus my time on the things that really matter, the things that are really important in terms of whether or not I'll have a, a greater chance. So nobody's going to guarantee anything, right, in life. We have risks from the time we're born mm-hmm. that we incur. Um, that's just the nature of life. But you've got, it doesn't change the approach that you should take. You know, that the hindsight outcome doesn't change the pre-sight strategy you should take. You know, the fact that um, if there was a 10% chance that something wasn't going to work out, but a 90% chance that a medical procedure would, would work and save your life, most of us would go with those odds. If it didn't work out, it doesn't mean we made the wrong decision. Right. You made the right decision based on the the, the, the knowledge that we had in advance. Yeah. But too many of us want to go back. Right. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say you're right. The the outcome there is is ninety percent success. That's a pretty good pretty good success rate. I'll go with that virtually in any anything right. Whether it be a medical procedure or you know portfolio strategy or whatever. Those are darn good odds. I was just going to comment on that. As in a lot of cases, we might recommend somebody start to diversify an individual stock they hold. And this is a, an, a story that I see I've seen over my career a lot. And then after we do it, the stock continues to go up and maybe say the market portfolio, the diversified portfolio doesn't do as well. Right. It, there's an inclination to go, wow, I made a mistake. Well, no. You had to go with what the best decision, most prudent approach was based on on the statistics in advance. Um, not on what happens if, if the 10% outcome actually happens in hindsight. Yeah, and also in that case, I mean, it, it will depend. Your results will depend on the look period, too, if it's simply a you know, one one year out or something like that. It could be anything, but you look out five and ten years, you're more likely to have a, a better perspective on all Well, that. we'll take a quick break uh, for some commercials, and we'll be right back for our last segment, Ethan. All right. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment, and that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio. Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. We're back, Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith here. Um, this is the last segment of the live show today. If you'd like to reach us and join the show, feel free to give us a call at 866-472-5790 or a contact at empiradio.com. And, uh, Ken, for this segment, what, what do you have on, on mind for now? I, I wanted to get back. We never did finish um, in the behavioral finance Oh, yeah. area. I wanted to go through the cycle of emotion that investors go through because that's kind of the theme of today anyway. Sure. Before we do, I realize that um, every show we call people to call in, uh, we make a call to action to call us during the show if you have questions. But most of our listenership, according to the statistics we're getting from the radio program, are people that are tuning in afterwards. They're downloading the show, um, replaying the show. At a different time than, than where it's actually airing. So please feel free, if you do listen to us later, to email us with questions again for the show, and we'll we'll get to them. Um, and we have. We've been doing it as we get them sure. um, along the way. Or if you want to, if you have a specific problem, maybe you don't want it aired on the show, we'd be happy to hear from you and see if we can help you um, make a decision. Maybe it's a piece of a recommendation that somebody is making to you about an, an investment strategy. Um, maybe, you know, today I had a friend um, whose uh, mother has a portfolio and she said, hey, take a look at this. It's at one of the big brokerage firms. And I started to look at how it was invested and uh, what I what I was finding in there is the expenses of the investments are pretty high. Yep. The diversification, however, is very low. So it's just a couple of funds that happen to all be investing in one particular sector, primarily U.S. Stock, growth stocks, right. uh, which, as we know, is one of the lower-returning asset classes over the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fee structure of the mutual funds are either back-end loaded, B or C-type shares. So um, one of the funds was almost 2% a year. Wow. Um one of the other ones was one of the bees where if you sell it within a specific period, you pay expense on it was about one point four eight, and um, on top of that, if you sell it, if you had to sell it for some reason right away, you'd pay a five percent load. So those are not investments that I would typically recommend to anyone, um, regardless of 
how sound the investment strategy may be inside of those funds. The particular cost structure of them makes them uh, less than desirable given all the funds that are available today in the marketplace. Um, yeah, the high, give, the high expenses plus the load, load to gain or out of them, yes, I'd agree. To give a, a quick example, uh, in that asset class that the fund uh, was investing in, the one that was about 1.8%, it was a large U.S. blend fund, um, the fund that we would utilize for our clients uh, is about eight uh, hundreds, eight basis points, or 0.8 um, of Point, a percent. 0.08 percent. Yeah, 0.08 percent. Almost free. So the 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 the, the fund in, in this person's portfolio was 1.4 percent per year more expensive than the fund we use in that asset class. That asset class, by the way is one of the hardest asset classes to add value, even if you had low expenses, because large U.S. companies have so much information about them that managers, I don't know if you have your little slider, you remember the number, but the, the percentage uh, that outperform in large cap blend, mm-hmm. I think the failure of active management is a slide we, we call it or we look at. I think it's somewhere in the 70-plus percent range just for the last... Ten years, or five or ten years, um, much less when you go back further. So you're paying a very high price for an asset class for a fund that's supposed to be adding value. In this particular case, the fund uh, isn't doing very well, hasn't done very well anyway for the expenses charging. And in, in this environment, you have a situation where a broker, whoever it is, in order to make changes, there's going to be a new period of time uh, where you're potentially going to hit with a 5% load. So, right, if you put in and you need your money back, say you waited the full five, I think it's five years on most of those back-end loaded funds, but what if you needed the fund money out or you just wanted to diversify properly? So instead of owning just all U.S. large growth and large blend stocks, maybe you wanted to have some international companies and some REITs and real estate and some of the things that we would incorporate into a portfolio. Right. Well, how would you get that? You'd have to pay a, a, a dear price that literally, you know, I was explaining how how theoretically in a one-year period in this environment, a broker um, or a client of this in this environment could, could incur 10 years worth of our management fee. It would take us 10 years of managing their portfolio and giving them financial planning advice to incur uh, what what could be done easily in one year because if you simply bought a few of these funds in that environment and then needed to make a change or wanted to diversify them within the first year, um, it, it could be very expensive. Yeah, you know, interesting you mentioned that. Um, yeah, it is interesting. In that, just, yeah. in that environment as well, where you have a person who's who gets paid to from the investments that they recommend, whether it be a sales load or you know from the internal expenses of the funds. Right. There's a, also a difference in terms of the management going on. You know, after the after the transaction is done, you know, in, in this client's case or this person's case, you're talking about um, the re- responsibility for the monitoring and, and maintenance of that investment. In other words, for its appropriateness for that client again, is on the the burden is on the client at that point. The, the prior to the sale, you know, the, all all the the person making the recommendation has to do is say is this appropriate or not appropriate? Is it reasonable? Uh, that after the fact, though, all, all any monitoring and and um, 
you know, work going into making sure it's continually appropriate is now the client's responsibility, which is a big difference in terms of uh, structure. Like we're, us, for example, here at our company, it's different. We're, once we make recommendations, it's our, our job to continually make sure that's an appropriate recommendation. So are you saying, Ethan, that this concept of fiduciary yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Is at the time the investment, are you saying that it's at the time the investment recommendation is made that it had to be reasonably suitable for them? Yep. But if their circumstance changed the very next day and they didn't communicate that to the advisor yeah, the, or the broker, or even if they did, it's not the broker's responsibility. That's exactly right. Their, their responsibility the ends at the time the, the sale is done, um, which is not, you know, I'm pretty sure that if you put it that way, and most folks probably would say, well, that's not what I'm looking for. You're the expert in this thing. I, I want your advice continually on this. But in reality, uh, legally speaking, the responsibility is on that. Uh, the burden is on, on the client at that point in time, hmm. which is obviously not it's not a very good place to be if you don't know anything about investing. That is interesting. Yeah. Well, a little side note there. That is great. So what I wanted to get to in the last few minutes here, if we have the time, is um, we had started to look at this article that was uh, written here by... Um, those are written by, I don't, and I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I will get it for you. Anyway, it was in the, the behavioral uh, finance and the CFP continuing education, and um, she writes that there's significant value in following an investment policy that keeps us on track. Rather than getting caught up in the emotion of the day, in an effort to understand emotional decisions, let us take a look at the cycle of emotion and how it relates to the investment cycle which is illustrated in handout one. So here in this handout, Ethan, um, what she has here is kind of like a, um, a, 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 a mountain that starts on the left and kind of slants up and then goes down. And on the left side of it, at the bottom, it says doubt and suspicion is one of the motions. Uh, caution, then above it, confidence, and then enthusiasm. Um, and in the center, at the bottom where doubt and suspicion is, is where the cell is and as you get up through between caution and confidence you have loss and then between confidence and enthusiasm you have buy and at the peak of the market you have this greed scenario and on the right side then she's got a list of things like indifference denial concern fear panic <laughs> despair yeah, right and so the way she she expresses this here is it says what we see in the hump which shows the times when people buy and the times when people sell so it's got a little green dial of when people are buying and when they're selling is first uh, on the left we see the emotion the emotions associated with decisions when the investment cycle is at its low point investor sentiment is filled with doubt and suspicion regarding the future return potential of the market that kind of sounds like maybe where we've been as the market continue as the market rises doubt and suspicion change to caution as the market continues to rise, investors become more confident. This confidence soon turns to enthusiasm. Investors become quite comfortable buying into the market. I see you nodding your head, Ethan. Yeah. Upon buying into the market, because you probably experienced this. Indeed. Almost every investor says, you watch. Now that I'm an investor, the market will go down. Have you ever thought this to yourself soon after making an investment? As the market continues to advance, greed inevitably sets in. Lots of buying takes place at this level when investors are extremely enthusiastic about the market. We've talked repeatedly with investors in presentations we do even, and I've given the statistic. We have a slide that shows 
uh, cash flows of publicly traded mutual funds yes. at various points, inflection points uh, of the market, right. bottoms and tops, stocks and bonds. And inevitably what you see is at the bottoms, you see a lot of retail individual investors pulling money out of equity funds and mm-hmm. into bond, and at the tops they're pouring money in. Yes, exactly. So the data we have corroborates with this story. Yeah, and I would, I would go one step further here. Oh, wow. Let me ask you this. All right. Where along that emotional roller coaster ride you just described are you best able to make decisions? There isn't any time on there that you're, you're in the perfect emotional framework to make the, the right decision. That's the problem when you're the one pulling the trigger. You need to separate yourself from any emotional decisions when it comes with regards to the market to get the best results. And I think that's the, for me, and the point that's made there, I don't think, but it's one of the main points of it. It should be the point. It should be, right? And one is to have a pre, pre-written investment policy statement, and two would be to have an intermediate, have somebody in between you and that decision exactly on top right. of it. Those exactly. two layers of protection should help you combat what's going on here. Right. Although most people don't don't naturally go to that that is the solution. They don't recognize it as a problem, I think, is the main thing. And then if they once they do, then it's more likely than not you, you make the right decision, but you still 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 may not. In the next phase of the cycle, the buying momentum has been exhausted and the sellers begin to step in. Perhaps this is what happened in July two thousand seven. A new set of emotions begins to prevail. First, there's indifference, followed by denial and concern. As the market continues to decline due to an overabundance of sellers, fear and panic set in. And next, the investor sells his position. The investor, who has been has now been driven by the cycle of emotion and has experienced a loss in his investment, has bought high and sold low. Again, this is a common experience for many investors and demonstrates how an emotional response to volatility and risk can lead to a disappointing performance. Hmm. So I I wanted to talk about that because I think we see that so frequently um, when we meet with people on the public that we're trying to help. Sure. Um, And hopefully if you're listening to the show, Again, there are advisors out there that that claim that they can take this worry away by getting you in at the at the bottom and getting you out at the top. And we know the data bears that out. That that bears out that that's not that's really not possible. Yeah, I mean, it, it, clearly that's one of those things that it sounds too good to be true. But you know, we we, we saw the study here a couple a couple months ago. We talked about this one of the studies that, in spite of delivering advice that they knew wasn't true. Investors still tended to prefer to work with that type of uh, in that type of framework or that type of advisor, which is uh, a bit frustrating because it, it shouldn't be the way that it is. Yeah. And she goes on to talk about we won't have time to do this, but a common thing we speak about, which is mistake number two, and out of four that she lists in in this article, uh, is investors chasing last year's winners and other hot investments. Sure. Yeah. Is something that we fight constantly, it's all the time. Um, when we are meeting with existing clients or prospects or or out there meeting, just talking to the public. One of the things, if we present any investments, they want to know how many star rating is it. And if it's not a five-star fund, well, why aren't we buying a five-star fund? And um, maybe going into next show, we could, if anyone is interested, we could talk about some of the statistics behind that. Sure. Why it's not a great idea and why, in actuality, um, buying, again, yesterday's uh, winners might likely lead to a, a proposition buying tomorrow's losers. And uh, she says, hey, uh, we've got about a minute here even. Okay. Um, so maybe we'll stop there and give out our 
contact information real quick here. If you're listening and uh, maybe you've been frustrated with your investment results, maybe you don't even know what they are, and maybe you don't have a plan. If any of those are the case, or you do have a plan, but you'd really like to have a second opinion as to, am I taking advantage of the best opportunities to get where I want to go? I would recommend you give us a call. And you can call us here at the firm throughout the week at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. And uh, feel free to ask for Ken or Ethan here at Empirical. And uh, shoot us an email. You can email me directly at ksmith at empiricalfs, E-M-P-I, uh, empiricalfs.com. I hear the music, Ethan, so I'll shorten that up. Or, All right. What's your Zbroga? Yep, ebroga at empiricalfs.com. Okay. Well, thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back again next week. All right. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.